Hoody ho. Hi guys, welcome to episode 59. Um, this one's a, just, again, I can't, I, I don't, yeah, I just keep saying the same shit and I know it's probably annoying to a few, I'm sorry. I don't know what to say about these people. They're all so great and I'm not saying it because they're people I've found. I've seen some people that aren't great, <laughs> um, but there, I haven't found anyone very lackluster and just not worth the time. I, like I said, I find these guests and they all contribute in different ways and so many different topics and just so many ways of going about it. Um, sometimes some of the things I say is repetitive, but in general, I think the questions and, and just the answers are all so different. So, um, yeah, like I said, this is with, uh, my friend Maxwell. He's just, just this, uh, big Texan who just, doesn't take anyone's shit and he's 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 really made a nice transformation in his life and he's such a such a good guy and a um very good um good speaker and uh like i said very grateful for him and to be his friend so uh yeah guys welcome maxwell thanks guys okay guys so we're here with another guest um I've been trying to find more and more guests, especially for just really good representations of uh, the disability community because um, I actually got into like a kind of a heated conversation with somebody who posted something on uh, one of the links that I put out and he was saying that a lot of people with disabilities are always looking for pity, which in some cases he's right and in a lot of cases he's not, but um, I really wanted to find some guests that clearly that isn't the case. Um and clearly just are about overcoming, you know, when they talk about their story, it's overcoming it. And it's not just, oh, look, I'm sad. Um, and my next guest is, you know, a very powerful person. I read his story and I couldn't help but to reach out to him. Um, so you want to tell us your name and obviously, you know, where you're from? Yeah, sure. I'm I'm Maxwell Ivey. I'm known as the blind blogger. I'm from Houston, Texas. Uh, so okay, and, so, yeah, bye, right, buddy. Go ahead. Yeah, you want me? Yeah, and as far I'll give them a little bit of my story. I grew up in a family of carnival owners. Uh, after my dad's death, we couldn't keep the carnival going, so I started helping people sell amusement equipment online. In 2007, uh, which was before Wi-Fi, WordPress, or Facebook, I started a website with, and I pretty much had to learn everything, including. Uh, teaching myself how to hand code HTML and uh, recruiting clients and so many other things. And people were like, you know, Max, we're really inspired by what you do. We want you to share more of your experiences of being a blind entrepreneur. And that led to the blindblogger.net. And that's led to four books, uh, hundreds of podcast interviews, traveling the country solo, starting my own podcast, What's Your Excuse, and helping other creative entrepreneurs uh, especially uh, those who happen to be disabled to get more exposure for their work. Absolutely. Okay, so we'll kind of go through all of them more in detail, but as far as your blindness, was that something you were born with, uh, or how did it happen? I have retinitis pigmentosa, which I'm starting to believe is like the the largest representation of vision loss. Yeah. And I started losing my vision gradually at four or five before then I had uh, perfect vision. And I had a big drop off in vision when I uh, turned 11 or 12 or so, which is pretty common. Men with RP tend to have a big drop off of vision when they go through puberty. It stayed constant until I entered college. And then by the time I graduated from college, I had 
light perception or what I consider total blindness because I have no functional vision. Right. So how are you adapting and how are you dealing with that as a child? Because obviously that's more, probably a lot more traumatizing as a kid than when you're an adult. Right. Well, well, I grew up in a family of people who did stuff. So there wasn't a lot of time or tolerance for uh, feeling sorry for yourself. It was more about solutions and, you know, what can you do with what you have? So uh, also, since all my family was in the same business, um, I spent a lot of time with the large extended family. And so uh, during school, uh, we would use things like large, large print textbooks, uh, closed circuit monitor, doing homework in felt marker instead of pencil or pen. And at home, the other kids would, you know, we'd, we'd uh, make up different rules so that I could have a chance to actually win at a game every once in a while and so those were yeah so those were some of the things that uh that were part of you know part of my growing up um my dad he was always caught between uh encouraging me to believe i could do anything i wanted to do and not wanting to see me get hurt doing it and uh, one of my favorite memories is one I didn't even know about till after he died. My brother used to have a moped and a dirt bike, and he would let me ride the moped because they go very slow. You know, it's really just a bike that moves on its own but and has a loud loud motor. Right. Well, I found out after he died, my dad didn't even like me riding the moped, so every night he would break it. And then my brother, Michael, would have to spend two or three days fixing it. And so... That was my dad's solution. He's like, I don't want to tell him he can't ride this thing, but I don't want to see him break his neck riding it. So (laughs) he just decided he would tinker with it at night while we were asleep and fix it so it didn't run the next day. Wow. (laughs) But that's really good, though, as far I mean, maybe not necessarily that, but the the fact that you had a father that was a good representation of what a man is, and he didn't look at you as anything less because of your condition. No. No, like I say, he was always caught between, you know, wanting me to do what I wanted to do and not getting hurt doing it. Um, for example, when we, when we had our carnival, uh, I had, he, he had no problem with me helping set up or tear down any of the rides that we had, but he wouldn't let me do it unless, unless a family member was helping me do it so that. You know, because his 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 belief was, I can trust your brother to make sure you don't get hurt. I can't trust my help to make sure you don't get hurt. So, right. uh, over the years, I've probably had grease all over me at one point or another. You know, it's just it's just what we did. And one of the most important lessons that I that I had learned over the years was from our business, because in in the amusement world, nobody cares about you. They don't want to hear your story. All they want to know is, on Thursday or Friday night, can I buy a funnel cake and ride the Ferris wheel? <laughs> so, and so that kind of seeps into everything else you do, including, well, you know, yeah, you're blind, but you get you need to graduate high school like the rest of the kids, you know? Uh-huh. Wow. And that, yeah, it's a very fascinating life. But, it, you know, is that um, like kind of like how your dad was and just your mentality? Is that part of from like where you're from, being a Texan? 
just kind of well being a being a Texan is a little bit of it um being you know growing up in a family that operated their own businesses a little bit but I do also have to give credit for a couple other things uh one while my family was never wealthy we lived in a school district where most people were so we had the advantage of better support systems for my education and then the second thing was I lived here in Houston and at the time we had a, uh, a Boy Scout troop, Troop 962, that was uh, solely for boys with vision loss. And so those two things were a big help as far as adjusting to vision loss and, you know, uh, being able to go and do things other boys did. So those things all combined, being a Texan, being a Kearney, scouting, coming from a good school district, you know, so... Right. Yeah, I think that's what a lot of people, I think, sometimes forget because we, we obviously constantly want to know what the future is going to be like. And we never really appreciate what's going on in front of us. And, and, and some of us appreciate the journey. But, you know, like I know, I'm sure, you're, you know, obviously it sounds that way. But my journey is the same thing. Like everything I've been through has made me who I am. Uh, and there's little pieces of every part of what I've gone through uh, that, you know, yeah. that, I, that I, you know, defines me now yeah i find that sighted people are even worse at appreciating what they've done than the blind are um oh yeah, yeah. i think it comes from spending a lot of time with your with your own thoughts and uh not having so much sensory input where you have time to think a little more and so it is easier but for the most part to, in order to in order to really appreciate where you've come from and what you've accomplished most people have to sit down and make a physical list, you know, whether that's a piece of paper and a pen or a file on your laptop, you know, you have to sit down and remind yourself from time to time what you've gone through and the lessons you learned from it and how it shaped you into the person you are now. And right. unfortunately, most people never take that time and, it, and they, you know, they fail to appreciate their accomplishments. They don't celebrate their accomplishments. They're just totally focused on the big goal that they're going for and, you know, why they aren't there yet, what they can do to get there quicker. And, and uh, you know, that's, of course, the people who are actually trying to accomplish something. You know, you have a whole other group who are, you know, are unhappy, but they're, they're comfortable being unhappy, you know. Right. But I find lists, I find lists are really important for reminding yourself of accomplishments, celebrating, uh, showing gratitude, and uh, and sometimes also for uh, figuring out how you're going to get to that next thing you need to do on the, on that next part of your journey. Right. Yeah, and with us, like, like what, what, kind of what you were saying, is like we have to – we have to be stuck with our thoughts. So we have to contemplate like every possible option, including the worst case scenarios of, well, we'll never be anything and you know, we're useless or we want to die or whatever. <laughs> and so, and then we have to like, yeah. come back to reality and go like, okay, but can we, is this all this possible? Even with the, the lack of whatever we have in our case, you and I cases, the division, um, that's where we kind of stand out. And it's like, yeah, we could do this. And there's so many other people. And I think that's something that some of us don't like to hear is like, you know, my mom used to always say like, well, eat your food. Cause there's, there's starving children in Africa. And I'm just like, I don't care about them. I don't want to eat this broccoli or whatever. But the older you get, it's like, yeah, like 
I have some vision and there's people that are blind out here and they're doing more or, you know, whatever. And they're succeeding. And it's like, why can't I? Um, and so, but we have, yeah. we're more likely to kind of come to that realization because of, we know the other side of, we know the, you know, hitting rock bottom, I guess. Yeah. And, and in my case, the rock bottom had to do more with the uh, physical issues outside of my blindness than anything else. Because in 2007, I was almost kicked out of a motel in Portland, Baca, Texas for urinating on the bed linen. And when I went and saw a doctor, I found out just how unhealthy I was. And over the next year, I had a sleep study and started getting treatment from a CPAP machine. So I was getting better sleep at night. My, my, you know, my breathing wasn't shutting down during sleep. So, you know, the, the, the bed waiting went away, thank goodness. But, you know, it's just, uh, and then I, you know, eventually I would have gastric surgery and lose over half my body weight by, you know, changing my lifestyle plus the surgery. So it was, a medical emergency in my case, but you know, for some people it's a business failure or it could just be realizing, Hey, my blindness has finally gotten to the point where I can no longer drive or where work becomes more difficult, if not impossible. Those are usually the, the rock bottom moments for a lot of people with vision loss. Right. Um, so how, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, how uh, big were you at the time of you know, your, your worst case scenario? Or, you know, at the, at the worst. And then also, um, what, uh, Jesus, I lost my train of thought, but yeah, how, how big were you at that time? Right. Well, when I had my first weigh in with the clinic where I had my surgery, Texas, uh, laparoscopic consultants in here in Houston, I weighed in at 512, wow. but my brother has a picture of me, um, sitting on in, in one of the midway games, uh, working earlier that year. And people who've looked at that photo say I could have easily been 600. Wow. Now, what, what made you, the other question I was going to ask you, what, what made you get to, like, was it a depression thing? Was it just laziness? Like, how did you get that big? Right. Well, for me, it was over a long period of time. I, um, I was never a thin or healthy person. I grew up in a family where, where food equals love and, not eating food equal disrespect. So um, my dad used to joke that, you know, Max, if you look at a picture of the Ivies or the Waggers, he said, oh, he said it's hard to find a picture where somebody doesn't have a fork or a spoon in their mouth. <laughs> okay. uh, so, you know, you go from that, and then over the years, the carnival lifestyle is not a place where it's easy to maintain good eating habits or exercise. So, And then after my dad died, I had a few years before, between his death and when I finally realized that, um, that I had a, you know, this condition of sleep apnea. And, and so that, you know, is when I went from say 375 or 400 up to, you know, 550 or, or 600. Excuse me. No, you're fine, buddy. Um, okay. So then what, what made you, what was like your final straw as far as like wanting to get this, you know, cause even though the surgery is, is, is a miracle, it's also like a, a risk and it's something you have to change your whole lifestyle and all that. So why, what, what was your rock bottom as far as that goes? Well, I just, um, I had, a, I had a meeting with a psychologist because it takes a long time to get insurance approval to have a surgery in the, in the, in this country. 
And so by the time I had gotten approval for the surgery, I had lost 81 pounds. And I went and saw the psychologist, and she was like, you know, why do you feel like you have to do this? And I said, it's simple, because I've been here before many times in my life, and the weight loss didn't didn't take. It wasn't sustainable. It didn't last. So right. I pretty much knew I had to have the surgery. And then, as you mentioned, there are risks to having, uh, having any type of procedure, including a gastric procedure, although they're very... They're very routine and safe nowadays. But the other thing is, is that uh, uh, less than 50% of people who have a gastric procedure lose 80 to 90% of the weight they need to leave, need to lose and keep it off beyond five years. So it's a, it, it, it has to be surgery plus lifestyle change. Right. Now, when you said like the, the weight doesn't usually take it, did you usually, let's say you, you could lose 80 pounds once you get to a certain point and then you would just kind of plateau at a certain point and then just go right back. Exactly. Up? Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, can you, just for the people who don't know, can you tell like a little bit of what the, the surgery entails? Well, for mine, I had what they called a duo anal switch. So what they did is they went in and they, they cut away part of the stomach and cut away part of the small intestine and then put them back together so that my stomach has a smaller capacity uh, to hold food and to process food. And then the small intestine has a, has less capacity as well. So a lot of stuff that would normally stay in your system passes through. And then, you know, of course you can, you, your body can, you can only, you can only eat a lot less than you did before because they've decreased your stomach capacity. Right, and you you don't even desire that amount, right? Like you just the amount that you used uh, to. No, no, you actually get sick in, in the beginning. A lot of people have have issues with you know just being sick of their stomach and other stuff because their body has changed, but their mind hasn't totally adjusted yet. Now, is this is this surgery? And I, I know the surgery, but is is it different than the lap band surgery? Or is that the same thing? Uh, the lap band is where they put a device in there to squeeze the stomach. It's not a permanent thing. It's a temp- it can be reversed. Right. Okay. That's what I thought. And they're ba- yeah. So they're basically uh, there are like four or five different surgeries now. There's even one where they put a balloon in through your esophagus somehow. I don't understand how that one works. Uh, the most common procedure is one called the gastric sleeve, and that's where they take they take a lot more away from the stomach and then they reshape the stomach after they've taken out the big, the big section. But the sleeve is the most common practice. Un- unfortunately, my insurance would not pay for the sleeve. And I always get a laugh out of that when I think about it, because I'm, because the, the duodenal switch is actually two surgeries. And sometimes depending on the obesity of the patient, it has to be done on two different days. So, you know, the duodenal switch, just from my, you know, poor man's view of, of level of difficulty was more difficult and, and had to be more expensive than the procedure they wouldn't pay for. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Cause I know somebody who got the lap band and they were doing well, they lost a lot of weight and then eventually they just went back to their habits and just ruined the surgery. Like it just, however you want to, I don't know the proper term, but they basically ate over it and just it. it right. Yeah, well, with the lap band, you know, you can, the, the way you beat the lap band is with liquids. Oh yeah. You know, 
and of course you can also you can also stretch it out a little from from uh from extensive overuse you know but right do you think you what you got is the way to go i think what i got is the way to go and it's becoming more and more common as a as a as an option uh some clinics don't like it because it decreases the number of surgeries they can do a year Right. You know, because they have to, they have to have more and more dedicated patients, and sometimes they have to do, you know, do it in two stages, like I mentioned earlier. Right. So, how, how much uh, did you? I, I know I read, but for the audience, how much did you lose, and like, what are you roughly at now? Well, I got down to two hundred and fifty-six pounds, and right now I'm at three hundred and thirty-two pounds, and the difference is. is just continuing health issues over the last three, four years. And, and, uh, let's see, this is 21 in 2016. I came down with shingles and that basically put me out of commission for two months between the, the physical part of it, you know, just this, uh, taking the medicine. So the sores went away and, and then just the, but then the emotional part of it, because it stays with you, it has a lingering effect on you. So then I went, uh, and then over the course of the next few years, I've had, I've had to have teeth removed. I had to have neck surgery. Um, the, I had to have various procedures prior to having the neck surgery. So I had two spinal taps. I had three nerve studies. I've had, I had various x-rays and MRIs before the next surgery. So it just seems like one thing after another and preventing me from getting back to a proper routine, but I'm going to get there. Yeah. You seem like you, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you have your moments where you're beaten down and you're kind of just like really another thing, but uh, you seem like you're very motivated to kind of get through it at some point, obviously, hopefully all this stuff. How, how old are you? I, uh, I'll be 55 next week. Okay. Wow. Okay. Well, happy early birthday. Um, All right. But yeah, no, I, it's like I say, you just got to kind of stay with it. There's nothing you can do. But yeah, I, I was wondering yeah. how you kind of plot. But you still, like, if, if you're talking about you probably were at 600, you still lost about 300 in total. So yeah. You're, yeah. You're and on my, on my, and, you know, on my body, I'm six foot four and a half. Okay. So. So 300 doesn't look and, like 300 yeah. or 510. No, no, no. It doesn't look that. And when I got down to 256, my, my, uh, and my, uh, my gastric surgeon, uh, Dr. Scarborough, he said, he said, Mr. Ivy, I'm, you're starting to concern me. And I said, what do you mean? He said, I'm starting to wonder if, you know, if maybe we took too much out of you that you're going to continue losing weight down to a weight that's not healthy for you. Right. So, so I'm never going to be like one of these NFL quarterbacks that's six four and two twenty, you know. My my, and I'll never be you know ripped like a like a linebacker. You know, those guys are generally about six three and two fifty or so. Right, right. But that's 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 kind of more my healthy range is somewhere between two sixty and two seventy five. That's what we've decided based on my age and body type that that would be a good range for me. Yeah, of course. Yeah, that's that's. Really good. So, like, for instance, just for those out there that are, I mean, there's plenty of people that are struggling with their weight. Um, from what, like, if, if you were to eat a, a steak, and let's say before your average was, I don't know, the 10 ounce, 12 ounce, whatever, 20 ounce, whatever it is, well, what, what is the difference in now 
from what like as far as portion wise right well i was never a steak eater so i'm going to put this in terms that makes sense to me okay um i i i love chinese food and there were many times where you know we would go to a buffet because that was our that was our we figured that was our best way to go and so back then before the surgery i could easily eat two sometimes three plates of food Okay. Now, if, now if you talk about a restaurant-sized plate, I have difficulty eating a full plate of food. Wow. Okay. That's yeah. It's kind of cool because it's kind of like a little mechanism in there that just kind of just says time to stop. Um, yeah. Yeah. Even if you're still hungry, or even if you kind of have that like greedy, just like oh, I want more, it just kind of kicks yeah. in and says now. Nope. Well. Yeah, and the big thing is is that. You know, uh, or a couple of things that, you know, change is one, you know, you get used to the smaller portions. So sometimes the bigger plates are even are a little intimidating. Uh, but the other thing is, is that, you know, you um, you feel like you, you know, you have this investment, you know, that you put the time and everything in. So you don't really want to ruin it that way. But the, the one of the one of the most important things they teach or at least they taught us was that you have to get to satiation and satiation means that you are enjoying your food, not just eating the food so that you can pound down the calories, you know, so that you can put away the, the quantity. So, you know, it's helpful if you eat stuff that you really enjoy eating, even if maybe it's not the healthiest food, because usually stuff we enjoy, we will eat more slowly we will get more joy and satisfaction from it, and we'd be less—you'll be less likely to be hungry again thirty minutes later. Right. You know, too many people eat standing up, walking, uh, work, working on their phone, watching television, doing things that take their uh, attention away from enjoying their meal. Right. And so those are some things people need to think about. Another thing that most people don't realize is that you can eat more if you are eating your food with uh, liquid, because a lot of times the liquid we use the liquid to kind of dry, kind of drown or soggy the food. So uh, it really helps if you will drink before you eat or after, but not while you're eating. That's one of those things. It doesn't sound like it would make a difference, but it does. And if you've ever heard about the guys that are the eating champs, like the hot dog guy in New York, right, right. they always, they always soak them dogs, you know? Yeah. Uh, and so he's not a huge guy either. I mean, he's tall and he's, no. he's not small, but you know, and there's one girl, she's just Asian girl. She's so small. She's won a couple of minutes. She's, she's probably 110 pounds. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, for the people that are listening, one of the most important things that they taught us besides satiation was to switch liquids for solids because your stomach can hold so much less solid than it can liquid. So if you're a person that drinks a lot of juice or milk, then you just want to swap the juice for actual fruit or for dried fruit, or you want to swap the milk for cheese or some other form of dairy that you actually have to chew. Right. Um, you know. So last question on this topic, like, um, for, for those are out there that are like in between right now, I don't know, they're in the three hundreds or whatever their height is and they're battling, trying to lose weight. And there's all these diet supplements. There's all these, uh, diets. Um, and then obviously there's the surgeries. 
Um, is there any like advice you have for them as far as, cause I mean, obviously you should probably do your research, but there's so much out there and there's so many bullshit scams and. Yeah. Well, here's what I've learned about diets is, is that most anybody can stay with a diet for two weeks or a month and some, sometimes longer than that. The hard part is staying with something that you can consistently repeat over a long period of time. So just about since just about any diet will work, and I'm not saying that that's something that I've heard multiple times. It's something the research bears out. There are people who've had success eating nothing but ice cream, okay. or nothing but potatoes. It will work. The problem is, can you commit to it for the rest of your life? Right, right. You know, that's what you have to decide up front: is are you going to be able to eat this junk out of the bottle for the next forty or fifty years or thirty? So. Right. That's what I would tell people to do. Find something that's sustainable, even if it's even if it's just you know a little bit of an improvement over what you're doing now. You know, right? Uh, it does just like exercise, just like a lot of things that we're gonna, that we that you've probably talked about with other guests. Most anything is doable, you know, as long as you don't try to you know to to run a marathon day one, you know, so. If you can make even some small change in your habits that improves your health, that's good. It yeah. may not get you to the ideal weight that you think you should be based on the internet and the, or the magazine ads or the people that you that you hang out with, but it'll get you closer. And uh, I was recently on a podcast with a guy and. And uh, we were talking about accomplishing goals and how, you know, you always have to start small no matter what it is. And and uh, he was talking about business, how people a lot of times think they just have to, you know, make the leap and and uh, and leave their nine to five and go out on their own. I said, yeah, but, you know, me, if I'm going to start leaping off a cliff, I'm going to find me the closest one to the ground I can find first. That's the one I'm going to jump off of, you know? Right, right yeah. Yeah, because you hear people like when they start out or they're like, you know, whatever, a couple months in, they're always still one of the, you know, repetitive things you'll hear them say is, oh, I'm so tired of eating lettuce. It's like, well, you might not have picked the right one. And I don't know. <laughs> I mean, you started this. Are you How serious are you about it? Um, yeah, it's it's very frustrating. But um, but yeah, OK, so what what made you actually want to be an, an entrepreneur? And, and 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 also an advocate for people with disabilities. Like, what what made you kind of come outside? I'm sure it was a little outside your comfort zone, but what made you just kind of want to do something good? Well, the first part of that question is the easy part because I grew up in a family of entrepreneurs. I've always been in some sort of a business. I started working in my grandmother's cotton candy stand, doing things like putting the butter on the popcorn and. Uh, putting the syrup on the snow cones when I was four and a half or five. And, uh, you know, I've, I had, I had a shoe shine box. I had a lemonade stand. I sold novelties on our midway. And so, and, you know, really when I started the midway marketplace in 2007, that was just an extension of something I had been doing because in our small carnival, the only way we could buy newer stuff was to sell the older stuff. So I felt like I'd, had done this for the family. So excuse me, I could probably do that for other people. And man, I was, you know, shocked by all the things I would have to learn how to do. But so the, but the more difficult part of that question is, you know, is 
is uh, reaching out to or working with people with disabilities. And that has really only happened in the last, I would say, 18 months to two years where it has become a priority. And some of that was by accident. I just happened to connect with, uh, with people who introduced me to other people. And then some of it was on purpose where I was seeking out public speaking opportunities and thought that, you know, if I shared my story with, say, the local foundation fighting blindness chapter, that would be a good opportunity to get in front of in front of a group. And it's just kind of progressed over the last couple of years, because before that, my whole goal was to connect with as many people as possible that, you know, could help me in my business, whether that be helping people sell used rides or, uh, you know, uh, getting people booked on podcasts or, you know, writing my first book, whatever it was I was trying to do, I was really focused on the world at large and not people with disabilities. And it's, it's just been funny how over the last two years I have now uh, started to attract clients. And I was, I was talking with a good friend of mine this week. I said, you know, it's funny. I've gone from having no visually impaired clients or people with disabilities to now where, you know, I'm representing a paraplegic in Florida that's building a new kind of wheelchair. Um, two-sighted filmmakers in New York whose documentary is all about the blind and how we appreciate and create art. Um, you know, a, and uh, a couple of blind authors and a blind podcaster. So, you know, I've, I've started to, and as a result, uh, I've started inter- interviewing more of them for my podcast. I've changed the focus of my podcast from people who are overcoming adversity or difficult circumstances in general to uh, to trying to interview more people with disabilities on the show. And uh, that has also led to uh, deciding that one of the things I'm going to do going forward is, you know, is launching a What's Your Excuse podcast network where my goal is going to be to help blind people launch shows of their own and grow those shows to the point where hopefully they can become a business and be monetized uh, or help people who have existing shows to gain more exposure by promoting as part of a network instead of each of us out here trying to grow our own audiences separately. And the most important part of that aspect of it is that I have seen so many podcast associations that once they start working as a collective, they start attracting sponsors who have real money to spend to help these hosts become more sustainable financially. And then the last, yeah, so that's, that's one of those things I'm really looking forward to trying to help other podcasters who are already out there plus get help new ones launch. But, and then, you know, just the last piece of that is, even for those who the podcast will never turn into a business for them, just helping them accumulate new skills and have a reason to get up in the morning or at least get up one day of the, out of the week every week because they you know, are, are passionate about getting their podcast out on the air. So that's what we're hoping to do with the network. And since you know my show has already got this brand of what's your excuse, which I think fits the disability community community really well. So uh, looking forward to, you know, getting that launched. I finally have a domain name picked and I've figured out how to get the network uh, set up at least to start with. Thanks to help from Michael Babcock out in Oregon. 
And so hopefully very soon people will be able to go to whatsyourexcuse.network and be able to find my show, but also be able to find other people's podcasts who happen to have disabilities. Right. Because as a, you know, and myself, just being visually impaired and having a podcast, like, yeah, being getting it monetized is very hard uh, for, any, <laughs> for anybody. Not, not forget a disability, for anybody. Um, but then also... Yeah you know, getting exposure and, and getting an audience because like I've gotten a few hundred people to listen and, and that's just by busting my ass and constantly promoting and so on. But you know, the, the, and again, not that I'm ever going to be Joe Rogan or any of these top podcasts, but you know, they get thousands upon hundreds of thousands of millions of people. And it's like, if I can get a thousand people to listen to me, I'd have, I'd be happy. Um, <laughs> but, um, so you, you, you said something to me, uh, when you first messaged me back, you said you should get a gold star for putting uh, disability in your description. Uh, why, why did you say that? Well, because I do a lot of podcast interviews. I I connect a lot of hosts and guests together. I've read a lot of show descriptions and, and host profiles. And even among people who specialize in uh, depression, mental illness, even those people don't ever come out and use the word disability. So, you know, and, and that, and you, and, you know, of course, people with autism, ADHD, and OCD, a lot of those people are categorized as having a disability. But even in the mental health area where they want to interview people like that, you never, hardly ever hear a host use the word disability or disabled in their show descriptions. And I'm not sure if they, if they just don't think about it or, if they're concerned about offending potential guests or potential listeners by saying it, I don't know what their reasoning is, but right. I know it's something that I hardly ever see. And I spend way too much time online for my own good. So, right. And I think, I mean, I, I knew what you, I asked you just cause I wanted your real take, but I, I know what you mean because there's a lot of us that have a disability and then are so embarrassed about it that they don't even want to acknowledge it or don't want people to know it and they don't want to tell their story, but it's like, that really hurts us more than helps because it's like, you know, look, if you want to keep it to yourself, fine, but don't be embarrassed about it because like I said, we, we all got our problems and we have to overcome them somehow. Um, and we're, you know, we're the strongest people out here. We're constantly fighting. We're constantly overcoming, but you know, it's, you know, yeah, you can't, you have to put in your, you have to be super genuine about everything you talk about. And mental health is another one. Like people put mental health in their titles. That's one that people kind of can talk about, but then some of these people don't even really go too deep with it. They don't really say their inner darkest demons and thoughts. And, um, and it's, it's, it's unfortunate because you have to be really honest, not only with yourself, but if you're going to do a podcast or some sort of YouTube show or whatever, you have to be brutally honest because that's how you're going to help people because there's a lot of people that are sitting in the shadows right now and they're going to hear your voice or my voice or anyone else who's battling something that's similar to them. And they might not have the same disability. They might not have the same type of mental health, but you may say one thing that triggers something in them and it just changes their life to know that, Hey, there's someone out there that's like me. And if you're, if you're fake about it and, and you're lying or you're just disingenuous about what you're going through, or you just, you leave some things out you're probably not going to, you're not going to help as many people. So yes, you may take some chances of offending people. You may take some chances of, yeah, you might get some people a little riled up and pissed off, but you know what? At least you're being honest. Yeah. And I, and when, you know, when I think about this subject, one thing that you run into with a lot of people is they're afraid of people who know them or know of them thinking less of them 
when they hear more of their real story. And right. that's actually absolutely not the case. And actually, in fact, one of my favorite examples of this whole thing is not in, in the area of disability, but uh, my editor, Lorraine Regulate at uh, WordingWell.com for years, she did not tell people openly that she had been raped as a teen or that she had been involved in drug use and prostitution because she was afraid people would not want to hire her as an editor or wouldn't want to know her personally or socially if they knew about all that stuff. She felt like that people would blame her and think less of her. And what actually happened was the total opposite. Her her recognition and, and her the value of her as an editor has done nothing but improve since I finally convinced her to at least start sharing that and do, and do a few podcast interviews as a guest. And so it's been really cool to see her, uh, her business grow as a result of being honest, something that a lot of business people still don't believe and, and won't accept. Uh, but I've, I've found that that worked for her. It works for me. And the really cool thing is, is that the, People like me and you that are really honest about this stuff, right. we seem to get the most love. It's like, you know, we're doing something in a way that 95 or 99% of the world can't or won't do it that way. You know, being this authentic, this honest, this naked, whatever words you want to use, right. it's just not natural for most people. So when you, the more, the more you can do it, the more you stand out and the more attractive you become. Right. And also, you know, if you're just honest, like I can't, I always, I keep saying this, but I can't expect you to tell me your truths and your stories about losing weight and being blind. If I'm just not telling you mine or not, or not even just you, but telling the audience, if I'm just sitting here going like, yeah, guys, I went through some stuff. All right, here's my guest. Uh, tell me everything. And it's like, no, like you can't do that. You actually have to let the audience get to know you and, and just say, Hey, this is all my things. You can judge me if you want. You don't have to listen anymore. Or if you like what I'm saying, and even if you don't like everything, cause some of it's really dark, some of it's really sad. Um, but just know that I'm still here and I'm, I'm still fighting. And I'm like, even when I talk about mental health, I say, look, I'm far from beating this thing. Like, yeah, I, I'm not on suicide watch anymore, but I still think about stuff like that. Sometimes I still get really sad. I still get really frustrated but I'm still fighting and I'm far from perfect. And, and here I am. I'm completely naked. Like we're, we're in this internet world where now everybody has to try to look cool and, you know, pretty and all these things. And it's like, dude, all that shit is, it's phony. Like it, it's none of that. Like it's just for image yeah. and, and, you know, likes and all that. It's like, if you have 5,000 friends on Facebook, how many of them do you actually talk to? Because, I may have 500 and I think I talked to maybe 20 of them. Like, you know, like, I mean, like on yeah. a regular basis, like there are people I, right. in my circle or family or whatever, but, and then there's some I talk to every, you know, maybe a couple times a year and so on. And then you got like the other 150 of people who will just say happy birthday on your birthday because Facebook told them to do it. So, you know, it's, yeah. yeah. So, it's just, uh, yeah. You know who, you know who Bobby Bones is? He's a, uh, country radio dj and personality he was on dancing with the stars he, he has a very unapologetic way of approaching life and he actually wrote about that in his book he said he said you know if 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 you have to be reminded by facebook or linkedin to contact a friend they are not your friend yeah uh, exactly i mean we're, we're all bad uh, with stuff like I, I don't remember all birthdays either but 
you know, so Facebook is good and, and, you know, social media is good for certain things like that. But these are people I would literally say happy birthday to their face or, or, you know, if yeah. I actually remembered yeah. it, I would tell them not just, I don't, I don't just message, you know, people that I barely know, Hey, happy birthday because Facebook told yeah. me to. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, and then, you know, um, one of the things that I, that I think is interesting, you know, you're speaking about mental illness is the number of people out in the world who are doing, they're doing pretty well. You know, they're doing some great stuff, but they have what's called imposter syndrome because they're not doing as well as they think they should be, or as well as they think their neighbors or, or social media contacts are doing. Yeah. And so they suffer depre- frustration, anger, and depression from this imposter syndrome, basically because they're not doing good enough. You know, it's, right. it's really a weird thing. So I think you're, you know, continuing to struggle with mental illness is one of those things that makes you uniquely suited to, to talk to people about this whole imposter syndrome. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. I, I never really heard that term, but it, it, it does suit me in a lot of ways. I'll be honest. Um, I'm better with it. Like, I've been telling people like 2020 was a year that really made me realize some things, not just about myself, but just like, you know, there was a lot of people that, you know, were maybe former teachers or or friends or ex-girlfriends or whatever. And I just was like, oh, I know they have health issues. Let me just say hi and let me check on them because I'm fortunate enough to still be working. I'm still healthy. Let's see how they're doing. And, you know, obviously 2020 was a complete nightmare for the you know public because people just did a lot of stupid shit instead of coming together you know like kind of like 9-11 where we just joined together and we said you know we're not taking this shit anymore but no we decided to riot and kill and do a bunch of horrible things and for me I took that as like yeah okay I don't feel like I'm doing good enough in this world uh but then so I started the podcast last year and so that was something and of course then you get to the point well the numbers aren't enough and this and this but over time I'm slowly figuring out like how many good things I do have in my life. And there's so many people that are not as fortunate as me, even if there are people that are succeeding more than me, that's okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, what, what you explained is exactly kind of what I've been battling. It's just, I'm fighting and a lot of people kind of give up and they succumb to it and they just realize that they're not good enough. And it's like, I know I'm a really good person. I know I have a lot to, to give. It's just, trying to get over those humps <clears throat> and uh and that's I think that's you know not to just kind of pat myself on the back but that's the kind of thing that I kind of like about doing this podcast because I'm very raw I'm not safe like I'm not a person that may be on Ellen DeGeneres because I curse a little bit or I say I talk about really dark issues that are really important um and I might not sugarcoat a word here and there but I'm talking about the issues that really matter it's not who's voting for who and and you know, and, and who's doing this and who's, I, I don't care about celebrity gossip. I don't care about any of this shit. I just want to care about the issues that really matter. Uh, and obviously being a person with a disability, uh, dealing with mental health and, and being bullied and molested in school and all these different things that have happened to me. These are all things that are really important. Um, and even topics like addiction and homelessness, stuff that I've never gone through, but they're important because again, like there's people out here struggling. Like some of us, somebody's got to speak up for us, and it can't just be you. Like I need you. I I know you need me, and we need everyone else that's us because there's not a lot of us doing this. Not not podcasting, but you know, doing what we do is speaking up for the people that seem to feel like they don't have a voice. Yeah, it is a it is a small number of people, and then beyond that, um, the world, you know, the world doesn't seem to 
seem to know about many of us either. You know, that's one of the things that really, absolutely, you know, just kind of hurts on a personal level is when you visit visit somebody, you've heard about them, they got a, you know, they got a new blog or a new podcast, and you look and you don't see any content comments, and you don't see any any likes, and you know, you don't see any downloads or views, and you're like, man, these people are doing great work, but they probably feel unappreciated. So, right. you know, we we really do need to help and encourage each other, and and try to try to promote each other's stuff so we can get more people to listen because that's that's the main thing about the show i'm uh, for me and i'm assuming it's for you is that when i when i think about my show the question i ask myself all the time is is there something that i'm not doing that i can do that will allow the guests to come on my show to reach more people right you know and not not what can i do so max can reach more people what can I do so more people can hear the interviews of the people that come on my show? That's, that's what I think about. That's what I work for. Right. And, and that's why I submitted to iHeart three times before, and they finally said yes, because I knew it would mean more people could potentially hear my show. You know, that's why I, uh, that's why I pay the pay chip Edwards to make sure that my podcast is on Alexa and Google. You know, it's, uh, it's just trying to, trying to to make sure that people who share their stories and you know are, are openly talking about their journeys on my podcast get to get to be heard by as many people as possible absolutely yeah i mean like i said there's so many amazing people out here and i keep in i mean i find people like you and you know and then they tell me about other people and it's just you just know that there's so many of us out here trying to just overcome and just succeed in life and again you know uh, I was talking about this with someone else the other uh, yesterday with another interview, and it's just like, look, like the the world's not built for us. It's literally like a house with no windows or doors, and we got to find a way to get in there. And it, <laughs> you know, and we're just constantly we're, but we do it. Like we keep doing it, e- even if we don't do it on a grand scale, and we're we're famous or whatever. We do it in daily life of just the littlest things. Um, we find like you know just like something small like. You know, for people out there, like when I, I can't, you know, my eyes are terrible, but obviously they're not, I have some sight, so I'm appreciative. But if I stick my keys in the door, a lot of times I never get the key in the slot. I have to hold the, I have to hold the little, you know, the knob and then slowly put the key in and turn. And again, that sounds like, oh, okay, fine. But like, that's something, that's how I made it work for me. Like it's something small. And that's what we do on a daily basis with everything we do, no matter what your disability is. And there's people that are in wheelchairs and they do all kind of amazing things. And so that's why I love the name of your podcast, you know, cause yeah, a lot of people have excuses. Um, can you, uh, real quick, can you talk about the, the, I can't remember off top, but you had, uh, three, uh, there's like a, you have these three sayings that you have or these three things that you go. Oh through. yeah. My, my, yeah. So the three, when people ask me how I, continue to accomplish the things that I do. I tell them I have three core principles, which is uh, first you have to decide to find solutions instead of making excuses. And the big key there is the decision and also the fact uh, that quite often the solutions are going to be things you don't enjoy doing. So just, you know, it's important like I say, you have to decide. The second thing is you have to be willing to, to ask for help and accept help when offered. 
And then the third thing is you have to be determined to find the positive in all aspects of life. And I say determined because it's one of those things that isn't easy. And like we talked about earlier, quite often it's one of those things you have to make a list for. So those are my three things. And kind of like a three A or number four is, is that none of this stuff will work for you tomorrow. It all takes practice, repetition, thought. And if you do it, on a regular basis, then when you do need it to work for you, it will. So, you know, I say, you know, for example, finding the positive. I like to say that uh, finding the positive is like finding anything else you've lost. You decide it's there somewhere and you keep looking until you find it. You know, just like if your TV remote is missing, you know it's in the house somewhere. You may may have the first clue where, but you just keep looking until you find it. And so I would say get up every day and make a list of, or start start by just saying, I'm going to find one good thing today. Whether it's a new friend, a person I meet, an experience, uh, whatever it is, just, you're just going to look for one good thing each day, and then build upon that. Where you know you're looking for three, or you're looking for five, and then it will become a habit to the point where when something really bad happens, you can take the time to go okay this was not good but what did i learn how has it made me better or stronger or gotten me closer to my desired goal yeah absolutely yeah uh, when i was reading uh, it was super fascinating there are actually all the things i try to do uh you know of course the, the, the third one of course is trying to be positive all that like it, that's hard um but you can do it I, 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 <laughs> it, yeah. it is hard yeah it is all of this stuff is hard that's I wish, you know, I wish more gurus would tell people, you know, when they're standing on that stage in front of 500 people and each of them have paid thousands of dollars to be there, I wish they'd go, yeah, anybody can do this. It'll work. You'll be successful. Yeah. But it ain't easy. Right. Because a lot of just being you know? successful or being and just doing something good in life is just being persistent and constantly trying to. Yeah, you just and, keep, yeah, keep doing it. Over yeah, and, over. and you just and you just made a good point. You said doing something successful or doing something, even doing something good. Uh, one of the things I wrote about in my first book, leading you out of the darkness into the light: a blind man's inspirational guide to success, is that too many people are letting others decide what success looks like for them. So, if you're going to be successful. Make sure that your definite that you know your goal is based on your own personal definition. What does success look like to you? What would make you personally happy? Right. And it doesn't have to be based on finances or money or how much you know what the bottom line will look like. Well, what, what will make you happy? What will bring you uh, joy, continuous joy from whatever it is you're planning on doing? And then define what success looks like. And, you know, for some people, success may be being Joe Rogan. And for other people, success may be having great conversations that you share with the world like me and you do and that lead to other people uh, having better, more enjoyable, more successful lives as a result of those conversations. And we have to decide what success looks looks like for us because – you know, not everybody's going to be a Kardashian. Not everybody's going to be Joe Rogan. And most people are not going to be Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers. The question is, what does success look like to you? Right. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and what, another thing is like when I say with the podcast is like, there's a lot of side ventures that have come from the podcast that can turn into other things. So it's yeah. like the podcast might not even be the journey. Like the podcast is just kind of, might be the intro or the appetizer. Whereas, you know, I might, I mean, I probably will do it for a long time, but it might be something that actually might be just the side venture. And, and, you know, the actual thing that I'm getting to is something that I don't even see coming yet. Um, so. that's a great that's a great reminder and it's something I point to when I talk to people about being a podcast host or about using podcast interviews to promote their business or their passion is that quite often some of the best opportunities I have had have come from being interviewed on a podcast um, a year and a half ago I interviewed a woman named Melanie Warner for my podcast What's Your Excuse and she included. She invited me to submit a, a chapter to a book called uh, "Art of Finding Moments: Stories of Survival," and that book is a, has become an international bestseller. Uh, but, um, earlier this year, I was on a podcast called "Virtually Untangled" with uh, a lady whose last name starts with a P, but that I couldn't pronounce on a bet, and. Um, and she invited me to be part of her book. Um, my first public speaking event came from being on Joe Pardo's uh, uh, Dreamers podcast. And a year later, I was in Philadelphia speaking in front of a conference. So uh, a lot of times you are right, whether you're starting a podcast or whether you just enjoy having conversations and sharing your experiences on other people's podcasts, which is, you know, is where I come in. It's helping people do that. Um a lot of times they lead to other opportunities. You know, you make friends and here's the most important thing to remember about have about being on a podcast or hosting a podcast or both. Depending on the format, you're going to have anywhere from 30 minutes to two hours to have a sincere, intimate conversation with somebody who gets you, who understands where you've been, where you're at now, where you're going, how you got here. They're going to get you in a way that your friends, family, and coworkers are never going to understand. Right. And so why wouldn't it become a way of, you know, of making friends, uh, building relationships, and having those relationships turn into other opportunities? Yeah. You know, I'm going to speak at a virtual conference next week because of my friendship with Joe Pardo. You know, that's just the way these things work. Absolutely. And the really cool thing is, is that, most people are afraid of starting a podcast. They're worried about all the technical stuff. Um, but there are really simple ways you can start recording and start and start putting your stuff out there into the world. And the really cool thing is, is that just having these conversations has an emotional benefit that you can't get from pretty much anything else you're going to do in your in your week. I mean, unless you have a new child who's learning to walk or something, it don't get a lot better than sitting down and, and talking about uh, life or business or writing or filmmaking or whatever that is for an hour or 30 minutes. It just doesn't get more enjoyable than that. So, you know, there's a big emotional lift. I love scheduling a podcast interview like 7.30, 8 o'clock on Monday morning because I know that while I don't like getting up that early, it's going to make my whole week better because I'm going to get started doing something I really enjoy doing. Right. Absolutely. And you're going to go down a journey that you just don't know where it's going. You're going to, you know, someone else's journey, you get to know what they're about and you get to hear That's true. that motivates That's you. That's true. Me and you get to help other people on along on their journey. 
Right. And by having them on our shows. And their journey helps us because it inspires us and it makes us feel good because it's like, wow, not only am I helping yeah. you, but I'm just like, I'm meeting this awesome person who's doing something extraordinary. And it's like, like it keeps me yeah. feeling good because again, we all kind of get to a point where it's like, oh, I'm alone or I'm whatever. And it's like, no, look at this person. Like, wow, like this person's great. I'm so happy I know this person exists because, you know, an hour ago, <laughs> I didn't even know they were alive. So, um, or yeah, just want to. Yeah, just one thing I need to warn people about is is there are going to come times where a past guest is going to surpass you or your expectations of them. And you're going to look back and you're going to think, man, I knew him a year ago before anybody knew who he was. And now he's a big dog. He's he's a star out there in the world. Right. And then you, then you will be tempted. I want to share this because this is important. You will be tempted to think, Hey, what have I done with my life in the last year? Yeah, absolutely. And then you have to remind yourself that comparison is deadly and that we all just have to focus on the road we are on. And every so often our road intersects with other people, those people who come on our podcast or we go on theirs. But there are going to be some times where a person you meet in January is going to, you know, when you see them again in December, they're going to be miles ahead of you, you know, or it's going to seem that way. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and then you can either choose to have an abundance mindset and think, hey, I played a small part in that, or you can choose, you can choose to have a, a, a deficit mindset and you can think, man, I'm a horrible failure. Uh-huh. You know, you have that choice. As, as I mentioned with my three things, it, almost all of this it comes down to the decisions that we make about the experiences we have. You know, are we going to be positive and find something good or are we going to have an? Are we going to have a, a pity party and feel depressed? It, it really just comes. It really does come down to many, many times deciding. And again, there are days when that ain't easy. So you know, it's a uh, yeah. But you can have those days. Like you can have a like. It's like with eating. Like you can have a cheat day. Like you can have a day where you're depressed and you just want to get your emotions out. Because sometimes that feels good. Sometimes you just need to cry or you need to just feel angry or whatever. You know the therapy thing of punch yeah. a pillow or whatever. Sometimes you need that. Just don't let that turn into a week or a month or whatever. Like you can have a day or two. Just yeah. You know because well, yeah, I once told somebody that a lot of this stuff it helps if you take a video game a video game uh, attitude to it. And they asked me what I meant. I said, well. When you when you die in a video game, you can press restart, you know. Right. And and I and I and you know the characters in the game they could care less what happened before you press restart. I think a lot of times that's what it takes. It's just like you get up the next morning, and you go, you know, yesterday wasn't a great day for us, but today is going to be better. And then you just do what you can. And that's, you know, she stopped doing it. But at one time, I loved the end of Ellen's show because she would always say, "Be kind to yourselves out there." Right, yep, yep. And I always thought that was so important because we just seem to love beating the crap out of ourselves Oh yeah. when we have the least, you know, you know, the least setback, just the littlest thing that didn't go our way. It's like we are a failure and we will never accomplish anything. It's just right. crazy the way that way we do that to ourselves. Mm -hmm. So I used to think that was a very important reminder at the end of her show, you know, yeah, be yeah. kind to yourself. Yeah. No, yeah, because as soon as like if someone were to say, "Hey, you're ugly," you're you, you even if, even if you just say, "Oh, whatever, screw off," 
at some point that's going to come back into your mind and go, yeah, look at you ugly piece of shit. Like you're just going to start taking it. You're going to go way worse than that person ever said. Like she might've just said, oh, you're ugly. And then you just take it to another level. And it's just like, yeah, here we go. It's just, let's just mentally beat the hell out of myself. And, and yeah, you have yeah. to kind of remember just, yeah. to just like yourself and, and say, look, man, like it's okay. Like, yeah. You know, I have, I have one of those moments every so often. I know this has probably happened to you. It's probably happened to most other people is every so often, you know, you, you go to pay your bills at the first of the month and there's a bill there you didn't expect to have or or some of them that you do have, they've. I'm sorry, somebody's trying to say, or some of them that you do have have gone up since the last time you paid them. And you're like, wait a minute. Uh, you know, you're tempted to see, you're tempted to think, man, I must really just not be getting it if, uh, if I have this much trouble on the fifth of the month, you know, but right. then you just have to remind yourself everybody else or most everybody else goes through that, you know, it's just, really? it is, it is part of life to have those minor setbacks. And the important thing about those small things is, is that they are reminders to us that we know how to deal with them. We just have to apply the, uh, the methods that have worked for us over the course of time. And of course, when all else fails, like on, like on millionaire phone, a friend, right. have at least one person in your circle that, you know, you can count on to tell you the truth, whether that is to tell you that you're better than you think you are, or to tell you, no, you're not as good as you think you are. You know, you step in at least one person. That will encourage you when you need it, or kick you in the ass when you need it. You know, and yeah, you don't need and I've been lucky to have many of those friends in my life over the last thirteen years. That's good. Yeah, you don't need yes men. You don't need people who are just going to tell you when you're when you're great because that's how you get like Paris Hiltons and those type of people. You need people that are actually just yeah. go, hey man, like your breast smells or. Hey, you're, you're acting like an <laughs> asshole right now. Yeah. Yeah, that's a nice way to say that. Your breath smells. I like that. That's cool. funny. Uh, but, uh, but you're right. Yeah. You know, it, it is very important. And, the, and the, the more important the work is that you're doing, the more important it is that you have at least that one person that will tell you the truth. Absolutely. Well, I thank you, buddy, for doing this. This was really fun. Oh, I, I appreciate it. This, been, this has been a, a lot of fun. And um, I'm very happy that we met, and I'm glad that we are are connected now, and we'll be able to help each other as we go forward. Absolutely, we, not only as people with disabilities, but as podcasters, we gotta stick together. And uh, yeah, my friend. Yeah, th- thank and that, you. yeah. Oh, you're, oh, you're welcome. And just one, just one last thing. Sure. Um, I've been doing podcast interviews since 2013 as a blind person living in the suburbs, not having good transit options. Doing podcasts was the was the first way I found where I could meet people without leaving the house before it became a thing in 2020. Right. Um, and so, without podcasters, there really wouldn't be a the blind blogger or Mister Midway or what's your excuse. So, I just want to let you know how much I appreciate the time and effort and money and passion you put into having a show and doing great interviews. Because sincerely, there wouldn't be a the blind blogger without you and your show and so many others. So thank you for that. Oh, I appreciate that, buddy. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm still new at this, so it's only been a year so, but yeah, I pre- I know what you mean. I thank you. I appreciate it. And, uh, no, like I said, but you know, on the same token, right back at you, like people like you are what keep me going and, and people like you who we need more of you because if, if, like I said, I can't do this without you. It's, it's not going to happen. Like uh, me by myself, I may be able to create a lane for myself to be happy and to be successful, but for the community as a whole, whether it's, you know, and for me, I'm more 
passionate about the disabled community as a whole, not just the visually impaired community. So for, yeah. in order for us to get anywhere and to get back to being together as a whole community and actually just fighting for what we believe in and actually making some noise, I need people like you. So, uh, like I said, you're an, an amazing representation of, of the community. So, well, thank you. Yes. And, uh, yeah, we will keep in touch. And, uh, like I said, I'll let you know when it comes out, it's going to be a little while because I, I do some of these far ahead, but, uh, I promise it will come out. And, uh, like I said, we'll keep in touch. All right. All right, my friend. See you later. Thank you. You too. You too, buddy. All right, guys, that was another, uh, really fun one. Um, yeah, I didn't, I, you know, like I said, I, I just meet these people and it goes where it goes and I don't have any expectations. I really don't. Like some people, I kind of know where it's going to go, but then it goes somewhere else. And some I have, I'm like, I don't know, no idea where it's going to go and it just goes somewhere. So, um, yeah. Okay. Uh, like I said, I don't want to talk you guys ears off, but yeah, everything as far as I haven't been giving you many updates with me, just everything's going okay. Mentally, I've been kind of in a decent space and, uh, just trying to, uh, stay positive and, you know, again, be a good representation. I guess I keep saying the same old words, but be a good representation of our community. And, uh, I'm trying to, you know, make you guys proud just as being one of them. Um, so thank you guys again, and, uh, we will see you on, oh, wow, we're already going to be up to episode 60. Wow. This is moving. Um, so take care guys. Bye.